Okay. Okay. All right. Um, here we go. Hi. Hi. Hi there. I don't... Okay. I have, I have tried recording an intro to the podcast several times, and I second guess every attempt because wh- what do I do? How do I start this? What, what's my tone? What's, what's my, do I start off super chill, super mellow? Like, hello, welcome to my podcast. This is it. I'm doing it. Do I need to be more high energy? Does it need to be like, Hey, welcome everybody. We did it. We're here. I don't, I don't like that. That's terrible. But okay. Th- this is hi. Hi everybody. My name is Taylor Johnson. And this is my podcast. This is mine. Um, everybody else has one, so I figured, why not me? I, I love podcasts for a very long time, and I have wanted to do one for a very long time, but I have not been able to figure out what exactly I wanted it to even be. What would it be like? Because uh, I started out as a stand-up comedian, so I thought, like, oh, maybe it would just be like something funny, something that's just like a bunch of bits and very silly. But then I started to do more serious stuff. I even in my comedy, I would end my comedy shows with like a message on vulnerability. And so, okay, does it need to be if I did a podcast, would it have to be like serious? Do I need to do interviews on more like heavy subjects? Or just some I, I don't know. I couldn't decide on one thing to commit to. So finally I decided, why not just do all of it? Just shove every idea that I've had for podcasts into one podcast, and that's what this is. This is my podcast, and uh, in it, there will be bits, there will be goofy stuff, there will be interviews uh, with people on heavier topics, uh, stuff that I would consider important, or things that I'm just kind of interested in that I want to learn about that I feel like I need to grow in with either experts or people who are personally related to, well, this first episode personally related to me. This interview for this first episode is with my mom. So get ready for that. Uh, But before that, before we even get to that and why I'm interviewing my mom, uh, I wanted to check in with a friend of mine. Uh, Because this is my first episode, uh, I feel like it would make perfect sense for me to talk to him, my friend Glendon Greer, who I have known for a very, very long time because he was my youth pastor when I was in junior high and high school. It is weird that I am still friends with a few people who knew me pre-puberty. Not many people. I just stood up in my apartment, and I feel like I'm a lot taller than I normally am. I just stood up in my apartment, and I'm looking around it, and I'm like, wait, why does everything look smaller? I feel really tall right now. This is weird. Sorry, I did, sorry. I'm fascinated by my own height because everyone, everyone at one point or another will say to me, whoa, you're a lot taller than I remember. Or they'll be like, have you grown since the last time I saw you? And I'm like, I'm 60 years old. I stopped growing. What are you talking about? And I think it might be that I have a short person personality that I just like carry myself as a short person, that I'm just like, I don't know, I just like, I'm small in a way. And so then when I actually stand up straight and people stand up next to me, they get freaked out because like I, I portray myself as a shorty when really I'm a tallie. And so I think, I, I, don't know what I, I don't know why I feel so tall right now. Does recording this podcast make me more powerful? Weird. I need to sit back down. This is freaking me out. Why did I even stand up? Do I think that would make me more energetic? I don't know. Sorry. 
Sorry. Anyways, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call up my friend Glendon Greer. Uh, he was my youth pastor, starting out when I was in like sixth or seventh grade, all the way up to my junior year of high school. And even after he left and abandoned me, uh, we stayed very close friends. And now we have just been just friends for a very long time. And I wanted to call him because he was the one who actually introduced me to podcasts a long, long time ago before anybody else really cared about podcasts, all the way back in 2006. That is a long time ago. That's 14 years ago. He introduced me to podcasts and I started listening to them. And then we actually did a podcast together in 2006 and 2007 for our youth group. Was it good? Probably not, but we had a lot of fun doing it, so uh, let's call. Let's call Glendon. Hello. Hello, Glendon. <laughs> Hello, Taylor. Hi. How's it going? How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. I I ate a chicken thing for lunch that I think was bad, and it might make me sick. <laughs> oh gosh what kind of chicken thing it was like a pre-made thing from the grocery store no like one do, where it's no like, do not do those why oh i don't know i uh those are those are sneaky bad i got food poisoning last week on a wednesday night shocker what don't you get food poisoning on a regular basis? No, I get diarrhea on a regular <laughs> basis. That's different. I'm confused. No, like, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Food poisoning is nothing to laugh about, and that's awful, man. This is the first episode of my podcast. The first time I ever was on a podcast was in 2006, 2007 with you, because we did a podcast for the youth group. Yeah, we did. I was I was proud of that thing. I don't know why. I mean, it's not like we had listeners all over the United States. I don't even think we had listeners all over the youth group. No, I don't we didn't. <laughs> we did not. I can I know that for sure. You sent me a you sent me an episode of the 247 podcast and I listened to it. And I want to play a short excerpt from it. This is, this is, it had to be from like 2006, 2007, right? Yeah. I think this one was 2007. So this is us on a podcast. Um, you can hear, uh, this is high school Taylor. You can hear that <laughs> little high school Taylor's voice is much higher. And at the very end of the clip, you can hear my voice crack. And um, it's very embarrassing. So this is, this is from a podcast that we made for the youth group. And I say, oh, Taylor, you know, you didn't pray for that. You're going to have diarrhea. And um, so Taylor's like, oh, you know, I don't remember. No, I said it will be the best diarrhea oh, of my yeah. life. Yeah. <laughs> because it would be from Chipotle. <laughs> Did you not remember that? I remember it. I, I thought, yeah, I thought that was the whole reason why you were telling that story, so we would be able to say that. Yeah, it's a, it would it'd be, be the, the best, best diary of my life. And Pastor was there? Uh, well, I felt Pastor in once he came. Yeah, back. I felt so <laughs> stupid when he did and, that. Uh, I was like, oh my goodness gracious. But here's the, ca here's the catch, is that I told him, hey, you didn't pray, you're going to have diarrhea. 
And he still doesn't pray. I prayed. Oh, this is his prayer, Deja. He looks to the corner of the room in Chipotle with his eyes open. And I'm not going to make a show of waits, my prayer. Waits for five I'm not going to make a theatrical waits production for five seconds and then begins to eat his burrito. I'm, gonna, I'm not so going to say God gonna like, is going to destroy your colon <laughs> just completely. And that I'm, I'm not going to go, dear Lord Jesus. I'm, 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 gonna, I'm not going to make it a show. I'm not going to let my left hand burrito know what my right hand burrito <laughs> is doing. Crazy. And now you know why you can't eat Chipotle without your colon being destroyed. It happened in 2007 when you You're didn't saying. pray for your burrito and you took a bite. You took a bite just like Eve out of the apple and now you're cursed forever because you didn't pray for that bite. So that I just, I just find it hilarious that going back and listening to that podcast shows where it all started for you, where it all went wrong. Um, all right. So now this is the first episode of my podcast. Uh, do you have any advice for me? For this podcast or life in general? <laughs> no, yeah. Just, just or about your eating habits and having food poisoning. Wow. Um, I think, I think having it, I think, you know what? You're at your best when you're having a conversation. I felt like your book was that way. I felt like your book read like you were having a conversation with me, and it was awesome. I and I think you're going to do an awesome job. Wow! Thank you. Thank you for believing in me. Oh gosh, that's <laughs> weird. that's weird. No, you're welcome. You're welcome, Taylor. I do. I do. I do believe in you. That's... Um. Okay. Great. Well, I'm gonna. Continue with the episode. I don't know uh, how to end this. Okay. Hey, I'll talk to you later. Hey, yeah, I'll talk to you later. Bye. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Okay, talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. All right. All right. Uh, so far, so good, huh? the podcast. You haven't turned it off yet, so that's a good sign. Uh, coming up next is an interview that I did with my mom. My mom, uh, her name is Gina Johnson, in case you're wondering, but I'll keep calling her mom. I wanted to talk to her about uh, my dad. My dad passed away at the end of last year uh, after suffering from Alzheimer's and Parkinson's for the last several years of his life. And because my job is like super flexible with like traveling and stuff, uh, I was able to spend a lot of time with him and I was able to like help my mom out when she needed to go out of town. If I wasn't traveling, I could go down and stay with my dad when, when she left because it got to the point where my dad couldn't be home alone anymore. And I was also there present when my dad passed away. And so I wanted to have this conversation with my mom, a very honest conversation about grief and death and also about my dad's memorial service, uh, because my mom had a very clear picture in her mind of what she wanted this memorial service to be like and the goal that she was trying to achieve with it. And uh, I know that it sounds like this conversation is going to be a real big bummer, and I'm sure there are parts of it that are, but I think the one reason I really wanted to record this is because the thing I really appreciated always about my parents is that they were never afraid of uncomfortable topics. 
and having very honest conversations and honest conversations that also still include humor that even if it is something that we're like afraid to talk about, like we could still make each other laugh to make it easier to talk about those things. My dad was really good about that uh, with his Alzheimer's. You know, I don't know. You, you could kind of feel like there's an elephant in the room when my dad was kind of struggling in moments and everybody else in the room can feel really tense. Like, oh, are we even allowed to say something about this? But if my dad would make a joke about it, it would let everyone know like, no, it's okay. It's okay to address this. It's okay to talk about this. And so I, I, even listening back to the conversation after recording it with my mom, um, I can say with certainty that this is, this is how we normally talk about these things. And I hope it's healthy. I think, I think it is. I think, I mean, I, I feel like I'm doing so much better than I could be doing dealing with uh, the death of my dad. Uh, because of conversations like this and having these types of conversations all along the way that we could like, I don't know, have moments where you get choked up, but also have moments where you make each other laugh and relieve the tension. Because I, I like after my dad passed away and people would reach out and they would try to comfort me, but I don't know, some of the people trying to comfort you, it's like, you don't know me that well. And like, you're saying weird things and you're trying to console me. Like you think, I don't know, you don't know you don't know what I'm feeling or going through and you're treating me like I am completely devastated, but I'm not, I'm not as afraid of this death as I think I would be. Um, and I think that's thanks to both of my parents' attitudes through it all. And so I wanted you guys to hear from my mom about this whole thing. And so here it is. A conversation that I had with my mom, Gina Johnson, about my dad, whose name was Alan Johnson. So here is that. So we are recording this the Monday after the weekend of dad's memorial service. What do you do you want to call it? Celebration of life. Service. Not a funeral. Right. Celebration of life. Celebration of life service. We had it Saturday afternoon. Yes. Uh, a bunch of family came in for it. Mm -hmm. uh, he passed away end of November. No, December the 1st. Oh, well, that's the end of November. No, that's the beginning I of just, December. Yeah, yeah. I, get, I just think of Thanksgiving week right, is all right. that I Which can think of. Which the Sunday of Thanksgiving week was December the 1st, but it makes me easier to remember that it was December 1st because that'll be then the anniversary every year. Yeah, so, anyway. December 1st. Yes. And we waited over a month to do it. Because it was too close to Christmas right. and didn't want people to try to travel and have expensive airfare and things like that. And he was cremated, so we weren't on Had any all the sort flexibility of time crunch. In the world, yes. Yes. Um, what, what, I don't know, how was the weekend for you? What was it like? The weekend really was everything that I wanted it to be. Family was here because we always go to St. Louis for Christmas, so it's rare that I get to host family here in San Antonio. So it was great having everybody come here and give me a chance to make food for everybody for Friday night and us all be able to gather together as a family and then, you know, have everybody around was really nice. 
the service itself was exactly what I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be a true celebration. I I told people to wear bright colors because I didn't want us to be mourning. I wanted us to celebrate Alan's life, but also to have a message of the gospel because there were people that were I was inviting that I didn't know if they're a Christian or not. So I wanted them to be able to hear the message and if nothing else, plant the seeds toward salvation. It was everything I wanted. It was very family-oriented, meaning all of us, you know, the three children plus myself, we all spoke or sang or, you know. I was surprised that you wanted to, because you you read a, a, a list of kind of memories that you had uh, of dad and then like things for each child. Um, and I'm surprised that you were able to read it. Because I had been thinking about it for a while and I'd been jotting down notes of, of things I wanted to be sure and say, because I was the social one and Alan was more, you know, I mean, he enjoyed being around people, but he would have never been the one to initiate. So, and then because he'd also stopped working in 2010, the majority of the people coming to the service were coming for me or for you or Heather, you know, so... To support us, not necessarily because they were close to dad, right. because no one was right. really close to dad. Right. I mean, you know, there were people who certainly would say, you know, Alan was kind of quiet, you know, and reserved, but then like in a or small- Or I was scared of Alan. No, no. I mean- People were scared of I would say people were probably scared of him. Not so much here. Now, I, I had someone who told me that back when he taught Sunday school at, at the church he grew up in in Granite City, that, you know, he, he seemed so learned of the Bible and the studying that he did that she said, oh, I was too intimidated to ever ask a question. I'm like, really? You know, I, <laughs> I mean, I was married to the man for 31 years, so there was no intimidation there. And I guess now hearing about, you know, Alan's wall that he kind of put up, I guess I was the one person that that wall was totally down for. Because we always had very, very open conversations, partly because of both having been married before. It was very important to me that we had full transparency and that from the very beginning when we talked, I, and he agreed too, there would be no secrets, there would be no subjects uh, off limits. I could ask anything about his first marriage, he could ask anything about mine, and there were no no taboo subjects. So I think that gave him then the freedom to let that wall down and, you know, for us to be able to talk about everything. And I thought, I think that was a very strong part of our relationship was communication. And so, so yes, I think there were people who didn't know him that well. And that's why it was important for me to tell some stories, to give insights, you know, people that, again, came just on my behalf, people that I go to CrossFit with, you know, had either never met Alan or maybe had seen him at that one competition that I participated in. So it was important for me, for people who saw I'm sorry, him. let's just pause right there. Uh, how, how old are you? I am 61. And how long have you been doing CrossFit? Seven and a half years. Oh my goodness, I didn't realize it was that long. <laughs> yes. And you did a CrossFit competition? It was an inner gym competition. And so uh, if you were over... 50 years old, you were in like the master's division. And so Alan had never, you know, I mean, he knew I went off to CrossFit many mornings a week, but he had never seen it. And it was one of those moments where when he saw what I was, I mean, really, he got tears in his eyes. Oh, really? Of pride because he had no idea what I was really doing, you know, what it was like to do the wall ball oh. or try to do knee raises and things like that. You know, he was... 
I thought you were going to say he just got so turned on. He was like, well, let's get out of here. <laughs> no, I think he was just so, so proud because I had never been athletic like that. Never in my life. I mean, I've, you know, power walked and I've played on a girl softball team where it was don't get me dirty and don't break a nail on catching a ball. But I think he was really, you know, yeah. So, so you had all these people who were coming to support, not necessarily because they knew dad. Right. And it was important for me for them to know how funny he was. I mean, Alan has always been able to make me laugh and he has a very quick wit. And that's where I think you got some of your comedic chops from is just, you know, DNA and or then, you know, hearing him come up with a zinger and things like that, you know. So it was important for me to share some stories that other people wouldn't know. And I kind of warned, you know, like Nanette, I was going to tell the story about the, you know, dancing at the reception and Deb Wiley, I was going to tell the story about him meeting her at QVC. So that was important to me that, you know, people see a part of him that they might not have seen, even if they knew him somewhat, you know, from church or whatever. That's what I, I think... And I even mentioned it because I did the the sermon at the end of the service and mentioned that I, I'm sure it's probably different than most uh, memorial services or life celebration services where like the family is performing for the audience instead of, you know, the family is receiving the comfort of the service. We were the ones presenting it for, mm -hmm. for everybody else, because these are all people who either, you know, never foot, step foot in a church. And so it's, you know, you were very adamant about what message you want to wanted to present to them. And then to these other people who like, Hey, we want to let you in on our family and who dad was and, and that, which is probably different than most. And I'm hoping that seeing another take on things, I mean, you know, you've said it before that our family handles stress or situations or difficult situations with with laughter and and try to, you know, normalize things as best you can cuz I know of families that won't talk about death at all, you yeah. know. I mean, the cuz I remember I remember being a little kid and just always like we would every once in a while have the conversation of okay, if you die what happens? Well, you just live with dad. Okay, what if you and dad die? Well, you would go and live with Aunt Lisa. Okay, what would happen if Aunt Lisa died? And just kind of going the line of succession of finding out what would happen if you died, which, you know, continued on into being in college and you pulling out the will and showing us where it's at. And so, like, yeah, death was never, like, a topic that we were afraid of. Now, here's a weird thought, whether this stays in your recording or not. But, you know, when you think about a will and, you know you have what you call your immediate beneficiaries and you have your contingent in case your beneficiaries pass away before, you know, when we go on our cruise at the end of June, everybody who I would have in my, is all on the same ship. So oh, if something no. goes down, the money I guess is going to go this way. Get off this cruise ship and sabotage it <laughs> yeah. somehow. Make sure you have a lifeboat handy, you know, but yeah, oh, wow. everybody that I would have thought, to, oh, nothing better happened to that ship. I was like, the whole family. And that's what's so sad. We're such a small family that all the family members can be on a cruise ship together. But um, so I'm hoping that people who've never thought about, you know, talking about it can see that, well, number one, the most important thing of it would be that if you have the security of your salvation. If you know that you've had Jesus Christ as your savior, you know that this is not the end, that you've got heaven to look forward to with, with Jesus. And 
But two, you know, okay, I guess it's in your book that you said, Mr. Rogers said, if it's mentionable, it's manageable. And not only mentionable, but if you can find humor in things, that's real life. I mean, death is a part of life. It's, it's not anything that can yeah. be avoided. I mean, it's going to come to everyone. And so anything you can do to normalize, you know, when, when things are getting heavy and things like that, that just reminds you that there is hope and that life will go on. Yeah, that was, I was, I knew that there was a chance that I would get emotional while speaking during the service. I was surprised. I got emotional when the uh, slideshow was playing. And then when all, like a bunch of my friends showed up and even like friends who I knew were coming and just like when one of them walked in, it was just like, I was like overloaded and I just started like crying when I hugged them. And, but the thing that surprised me that got me emotional when I started speaking is talking about um, why humor was important because I, I was partially afraid that we're in this church and church people are usually very conservative. And if I start making the type of jokes that we would make at home, that people will be uncomfortable with it. And like, that's what I say sometimes. I don't like the phrase family-friendly comedy because I don't know whose family you're talking about. The stuff that my family, good Christian people thought was funny and would make jokes about at the dinner table, other families might not, might not like at all. And so to make a joke about death or to make fun of this old picture of dad, mm -hmm. I was afraid of, you know, how people might react to that. And so I wanted to make it very clear uh, because of who dad was, I wanted this message to be different than what you would consider to be like a traditional funeral sermon. And so I wanted it to have humor because like that was a big deal to dad, even when, mm -hmm. and this is the part that made me emotional, uh, when he first got his diagnosis that he said he still wanted to be able to make jokes about it because if you can laugh about it, you can talk about it. And it's not bigger than you. If you can laugh at something, you can't be afraid of it at the same time. Right. Stephen Colbert says that. And like that was dad's biggest push for dealing with the Alzheimer's, which he'd handled, which mm -hmm. he was, he was always the first one to make the joke. Yes. And, and that's what was so helpful too, is that Alan was never in denial of his diagnosis. He didn't, you know, fight against, I mean, he accepted it. He didn't succumb to it, but he, you know, fought, fought it as well as best he could but it's not like he was, you know, denying that it was there and, you know, pretending that it wasn't there. Um, and that made it easier then, you know, to, you know, then get help and, and have help and, you know, handle the. But I agree with you that the slideshow was emotional to me because that those were the pictures of the Alan of my heart. That was the Alan that I had for many years until this all started happening, you know. So those were just. Precious and was like, wow, look how young we really were yeah. <laughs> a few years ago. So, and and then it was full of family pictures. There were pictures of him holding each grandchild and there were pictures, you know, with, with family. And that was, you know, a, a great theme to everything. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing I wanted, and, and I agree with you, seeing some of the people come in, that just meant... Oh, you know, you you thought enough of me to give up your, you know, part of your Saturday afternoon because I had folks come in from Austin and uh, one from Dallas. And so that really meant a lot that people would, you know, come because 
I'm sure they didn't know what to expect. I mean, I'm the one that said everyone wear bright colors and, you know, we're celebrating, but yet I'm sure they didn't know for sure what to expect. And then people who don't normally go to church, I'm sure there was a nervousness. Oh, you know, and when they say assembly of God, I don't even know what that means. You know, I'm not sure what those folks do, but hopefully they saw that, uh, because the one thing that I wanted very clearly in the message and through the music was, and I said, this is part of my talk. I prayed very specifically to God. I said, God, please heal Alan here on earth. I didn't have the, well, now let your will be done. I was pretty specific with God. And I said, I'd like you to heal him right here and just give him back to me, restore him to me. But then like the Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego story that they said, but if not, you know, we'll still remain faithful. So that's why it was important to me then to have Lauren Daigle's song of, I will trust you because, you know, her song says, if you don't move the mountain I ask you to move, and if you don't give me the answer that I've asked you to, I'll trust you. And then the other song that Heather sang, the Mercy Me, even... I don't know. Even if you don't, you know, again, you know, if you don't answer the way I want you to, I'll still remain faithful. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I didn't get the answer that I wanted. And yet, if my Christian faith didn't maintain and, you know, then that's not much of a faith. If I feel like, God, if you don't give me only what I want, well, that I'm just going to give up. It's like, no, he's bigger and he knows. And again, if one person out of the, all those that attended on Saturday have had now the seeds planted for them to seek out more and look for salvation, then yes, it's all worth it. Yeah. Because that was something else that I mentioned in my talk was that dad was uh, very funny, and so I wanted my message. I wanted to make jokes. Um, Dad was very honest, so I wanted to be very honest. And I always asked dad for permission to talk about him on stage. And, uh, you know, I've also asked permission from you with certain things in my book and other places. I always wanted permission before I said anything. And, And dad always gave me permission to use his story and his life to point people to the gospel. And if he was willing to do that in life, then we should definitely still do that in his death. Yes. I do. I So um, I have like a bit that I do that kind of gets me, like when I do stand up, sometimes when I do stand up and I end with a message, there's a thing that I do that gets, gets me into the message where I kind of drop the bomb about dad having Alzheimer's, where like, I kind of say I'm telling honest things about my life and, you know, the first two are kind of funny, silly things that are being honest, that, you know, being vulnerable with them with something dumb. And the third one is uh, my dad has Alzheimer's. And at the beginning of January, I did, I was at a church and I got to that point and I was like, oh, I have to do this differently now. Um, And I was like, my dad's dead, like, which felt so much heavier than I meant it to. And like, it didn't, I don't know. It just felt so strange to, to no longer be able to say like, my dad has Alzheimer's. I was like, no, no, he doesn't anymore. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you're 30 years old and you've lost- Hey, we don't have to tell people about that. But I mean, that you've lost your dad. I mean, I was- I didn't lose my dad till I was 60 years old. Yeah. And so that to me is a a sad note that, you know, I mean, when I think of some of those things, I could get sad and say, 
you know, your dad won't see you get married or see your children, you know. Um, but, you know, he did see you graduate from college and he saw him, you know, you get your minister's license and things like that. So, you know, I will hang on for the things that we do have and, you know, um, not, not focus so much on the things that, you know, won't be there. Yeah. Um, another thing that I feel like is different from most people during the grieving process, and I guess I got this from you, you talk about your curiosity. Because um, like even when dad had his bypass surgery, can you tell the story of how fascinated you were by the whole thing? Yeah. You know, when Alan had gone to the doctor and had failed a stress test, and then it was time to do an angiogram, which is the test to see if you have any blockages. And so we're meeting with the technician, and I'm asking him all kinds of questions. And, you know, your dad was more, I don't want to know any information. I don't want to. Dad didn't even like, to, he didn't want to see needles. No, like he, all no, that stuff irked He him. didn't want to know what was coming. And so this guy was telling me, you know, how, you know, we'll send this tube up, and this one's the camera. And then if we have to do any angioplasty, you know, and we'll do this. And I'm like, oh, wow, that was all very, I wanted all the details. I handle stressful things better with as much detail as possible. And then being just the bold person I am, I asked when we were getting ready to get started, I said, can I be in there with you as you're doing this? And they were like, you know, the cardiologist was like, oh, no, no, we use radioactive stuff and we're all going to have on these iron, you know, or shielded, what, we'll shielded all be. suits and all that things. But they said, well, since you asked, we'll let you sit with the technician who is behind a glass window. So between the surgery room and then where this technician was, who was, you know, seeing the camera and, you know, guiding the doctor and things like that, they let me be in there. And people I've talked to since said they've never heard of anybody, a family member, getting to be in there with that. But I was just very quiet and just watching and not, you know, making a nuisance of myself or anything. So I got to be in there. And again, that so was... So did you like... you have? Did you see dad with his chest open? No, no, no. This was just the angiogram where they go up through the artery oh, in your okay, leg and okay, just okay. all the cameras and everything. So, but I mean, I heard when the technician said, doctor, what are you going to call that one? And the doctor said the word 90, and that meant 90% blockage. So then again, you know, I, yeah. So then I got to hover and be then when they called in a surgeon and things like that. So again, I handle my stress better if I can be in the middle of it. Then, of course, your dad has this big scar, and he's concerned, you know, am I going to find that unattractive? And I said, no. And I was curious about the scar. So when I was helping him take a shower in the hospital, he wouldn't even look down. He wasn't going to look at his chest. He just kept looking at the ceiling, and I'm looking at it to see, oh, there's staples in there and this. And he didn't want to know any details, but I'm, you know, I'm... And then also, too, I was also hands-on when nurses were changing bandages and things like that. I was right there. And I was almost insulted one time when a nurse, because I guess people have different levels of privacy, even amongst married couples, but the nurse would look at your dad first and say, now, Mr. Johnson, would you like Mrs. Johnson to step out of the room? I, step out of the room. I've seen this man naked from head to toe for years. What do you mean step out of the room? <laughs> but again, different people have their levels of, you know, I guess, what's the word? Um, modesty or, you know, whatever. And he was like, no. And I could tell Alan was handled things much better if I was there next to him. You know, mm -hmm. that was more comforting to him. So anyway, I was always very hands-on with that. So, And that's what I've done through the whole situation of his Alzheimer's and Parkinson's is be right there hands-on. I mean, there was no question. Whatever needed to be done, 
We did. Yeah. And then you got to experience some of that too. Yeah. You know, and I think that's healthy because then you get to be a part of making sure that someone is comfortable and taken care of. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. And I think it's easier when you are, or I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Other people are different. Um, it's easier when you're really close to that person to handle that stuff. And, and I think because like with grandpa, when grandpa was brought home on hospice and he was nude under a blanket <laughs> and he was moving around and I was like, all right, I gotta get out of here. I'm going to see something I don't want to see. Uh, but with dad, I, you know, I helped him shower and I helped change an adult diaper. And, mm-hmm. and I, and I think too, because he was not ashamed or he, I mean, by that point it was, I don't think he was as aware of what was happening. Right. But like, I don't know, you, you just do it. Like, you're not thinking like, Ugh. it's just something that has to be done. But again, I think your dad was easygoing enough with it. Or like you said, maybe not realizing that he wasn't making it more challenging. He yeah. wasn't, you know, trying to avoid it, you know, and he just accepted that he needed some help and that he was, you know, grateful for that help. Because one of the things with Parkinson's is, too, you're such a fall risk. And then that started making him afraid. I mean, the one thing I could tell different is your dad always wanted to get out of the house to go eat out, you know, whether it was lunch or as often as possible. But then when he fell sometimes and, you know, fell or it was difficult to get in the car, when he when I would say, hey, do you want to go get something to eat? When he'd say, no, let's, let's just eat it here at the house. That was a significant change. And yeah. so I wanted to make sure that he felt as secure in all the things then so that he didn't have to be afraid of falling because he had some dandy bruises from some of the falls he did have. Uh, what do you remember about uh, the morning that he passed away? You know, I had said that I wanted to be with him when he passed, but we didn't know for sure when that would be. And I was getting ready to go to church, actually. I was going to, you know, if everything was okay and quiet and, you know. Um, and I was going to stay at the house. And you were going to stay with him and, you know. But then, um, so we had taken turns giving him the medication. He could have it every four hours. So I did like 8.30 the night before. You did the 12.30. I set the alarm and got up at 4.30 and then gave him the 8.30 dose. And then when you said, Mom, come in here. Yeah, because he... He was kind of, he had a, snor- his breathing was like snoring. Right. All the whole All the time, time while he was awake. Because his mouth was always <laughs> open. His mouth was always open. And so. When I went to bed the night before, I left the door to my bedroom open because I was so like, I just want to be able to hear in case. And so I, I was still like half awake waking up in the morning and I could just tell like immediately my brain was like, it's too quiet. Right. It's not supposed to be this quiet. And I ran in there and I saw him and, and he had been tricking me. Over the last couple of days, because he would like, <laughs> and he would take a pause, and I'd be like, "Hey, hey, you're freaking me out!" And so Don't I wasn't that. sure, like, how long of a pause is is it going to be the real thing? And yeah. and so I came out and I saw him kind of like give a little give a little thing, and then yeah, I called you in. And then, yeah, he wasn't breathing. I mean, there was no noise at all, so we just had to assume that he had stopped breathing. And I remember, you know, after we realized that's what it was, that, you know, I had never been with, I had never been in the presence of a dead body other than like at a funeral. 
and you had neither. So this was a new experience for us. And it wasn't, I mean, again, because I didn't want Alan to suffer and I was ready to let him go when I'd given him that message, even in the hospital. You know, honey, if you see Jesus, you go to him and and I'll be okay. The kids will be okay. So giving him that permission to go, I still felt that way. And so that's why when he went and it was so peaceful, there was no struggle or anything like that. It it wasn't hard. But then it was then just strange. Yeah. You know. Because then you have to call the hospice nurse because she She's the one that can officially pronounce death. She has to call the cops and the cop has to come make sure we didn't do anything wrong. Right. And then they call the funeral home and then they come pick it up. And so it's like four hours of him just hanging out. Yes. But then I thought then it was important then for, you know, when everybody else had left, then I said to you, come on, we're going to go eat at Hop Dotty and we're going to celebrate your dad by having a hamburger and french fries and a chocolate milkshake because that was his favorite meal in the world. Yeah. I, so I know too, there were some people, because when dad was in the hospital for the whole week before he was brought home on hospice, um, that I had kind of offered like, is there anybody who wants to like FaceTime him and see him? And some people were like, no, I don't, I don't want that to be the last memory that I have of them. Um, do you think seeing him, does seeing his dead body, like, do you think that was good for you or bad? Cause I know that everybody's different. Um, like, is that image stuck in your brain? No, no, not at all. When I think of your dad, I think of, you know, my memories go to the healthy, you yeah. know, and all of, all of that. Now, when I, when I get a little sad and think, oh, he's gone, but I have to remind myself, he was about to go in a nursing home, yeah. and that would have been worse. And I remember you saying to me, you know, when we thought that he was even possibly going to be released from the hospital to the nursing home, you'd said, now, Mom, I'm not going to be able to go see him for the first couple of days. Right, yeah. Because that would just, be, in the nursing home would be strange. Because, yeah. again, no, not his choice and things like that. So the fact that he was spared that and we were spared that, you know, um, no, yeah, no, I, I think of him as the the healthy Alan when I, when I think back. And that, you know, the funeral home people made it very smooth. I mean, and other people would have maybe left the room. And again, my curiosity and my needing to be yeah. with things, you know. Because it, it's crazy. Uh, like after a minute, you can tell. Oh, I mean, the body started changing colors and things like that. And like yes. even just in his face, like you can just, that that's what is so funny to me. People who wanted to console me and comfort me when I didn't really need comforting. I like everybody who wanted to talk to me about it. I wanted to be like, the only thing I want to talk about is that I've now seen a dead body. And if you're not prepared to have that conversation, then, <laughs> then you should probably walk away. Right. And so like when the men from the, you know, mortuary came and, you know, like I said, other family members would have probably left the room or yeah. something like that. But, you know, it didn't bother me to have them put the sheet over it or they didn't, didn't do that, it. But that, it didn't bother me, but like seeing them, cause they like put plastic around him, like they laid plastic down put him on the gurney and then right. wrapped it in plastic. And I was like, well, okay, that yep. looks like a dead body now. Yep. And then they took him to the door and then they put the sheet over his head. Right. And that was like, okay, that <laughs> is weird. You know, and then, yeah, the same curiosity too of, you know, when I got his ashes, I wanted to look at him. I wanted yeah. to see what, you know, also too, I needed to know what size it was to know what kind of size box to get to, to put him in, you yeah. know, so. That's what the, uh, there's like a Jewish tradition of sitting shiva of right. like you sit with the dead body in the house for a period of time as like the grieving process and like it started for a very different reason but like that's kind of what it become what it's become 
And I think that that's genius. Like, I... Like, because I feel like we kind of did that for you know, at least three or four hours where, I mean, you were in and out because you were calling family members and letting them know. And But I was just like sitting on the couch opposite dad's body. And mm-hmm. like, man, there is something about the closure that you get from that. Like, you cannot be in denial that he's gone because you're looking at this thing that used to be a person and just like the the way that it is completely still yes. is totally different than the way it was still when he was alive. And and like I I touched his body and I asked you too before before he before he passed, do you think that you'll kiss him like when you see him pass? Yeah. And because the way his mouth was just kind of open, so yeah. I chose to kiss his forehead instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but I didn't need to, you know, crawl into the bed with him or anything like that because like that number one it was a hospital bed, there was no room, but you know, um, and the one thing that I said as part of my talk about having him uh, come back to me at times when we had been in an emergency room previous in earlier in November, and we were there a long, long time, and we weren't getting in, him into a room, and I was just so frustrated and so absolutely exhausted, I just started crying, just started crying out of frustration and weariness, and he, he just reached over and took my hand. And that's when it was like God and Alan were saying, he's still there. There he is. There's the one that holds your hand. Because Alan and I held hands all the time. We got out of the car walking into Walmart, we were holding hands. Get out of the car walking into church, we were holding hands. So for him to reach over and hold my hand, that assured me that he was there. Ooh, you about to cry? <laughs> I'm it now. Oh man, there we made it, it so far. <laughs> I was gonna ask you at the beginning, how long do you think you could get yeah. before you get me all teary eyed? <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! Yes, but I think I don't know. I'm glad. I'm glad the service was. It was funny and it ended with the gospel, and um, we did get to share with people that our experience has been different. And like, because of honesty, because of laughter and because of Christ that like, yes, there's still like sad moments, but like we're doing okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and what I would hope in that, but the only thing I don't want to have is I wouldn't want somebody who's not handling it as well feel like, well, I can't talk to Gina because she was, yeah. you know, so but then the other thing, when I've had people say to me, oh, Gina, you've been so strong and you're so strong, I've tried to clearly say, it's not me, it's God's strength that has given me that, that I wouldn't have this level of strength on my own. On my own, I'd be in the bed with the covers pulled over my head, feeling very, very sorry for myself. So I never want to take the credit for the strength that people compliment me on. I very much want to say it's because of God's strength and God's grace that has you know, given us the ability to handle this as we have. But then again, I want anybody who is going through something to feel like they can talk to me, even if they don't handle it in the same way, but because I can now empathize with somebody else who has lost a spouse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that feels like a good ending. There you go. All right. All right. Thank you. Mm Mm-hmm.
So each episode of the podcast is going to include an interview that'll probably be the longest segment of the show. And each interview will be on a topic that I would consider important or meaningful or probably a little bit heavier at times, more serious. Um, But afterwards, I always want to leave it more lighthearted to kind of release the tension that could happen from a more serious conversation. And I'll invite different people on for different segments and different bits. And for this first episode, I brought on my very good friend, Danny Barrera, who is such a funny storyteller because she has the most ridiculous story about a kiss. And I wanted her to share that story. So here it is, uh, Danny Barrera telling one of the silliest stories I've ever heard. Hi, Danny. How are you? I am doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. Danny, you have a story that you've told me once before about, was it your first kiss or was it, how, what is this story? It wasn't my first kiss. It was me and my sister, Chelsea. It was her best friend, Jamie. It was Jamie's quote unquote first kiss. And okay, how this is a wild story with, that involves like <laughs> logic and reasoning that makes absolutely no sense <laughs> at all. How old were you when this thing happened? Um I think I was about I would think I was 17. I was 17 years old. And how old is Jamie, the, your uh, Chelsea's friend. She's the same age as Chelsea, so they are three years younger than me. So what, 17? 14. <laughs> they were 14. <laughs> okay. All right. Great math. Okay. So yeah. um, can you tell me what happened? What is this story? Okay. So we grew up in a very evangelical church that we had this program called True Love Waits. Okay. True Love Waits, you know, no sex, no dating, no kissing before marriage, all this stuff. No dating before marriage? I mean, it was like strongly encouraged. It was never said, Hey, you shouldn't date, but it was like, you should only be dating if marriage is the end goal. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And you get a ring and there's a ceremony. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So Chelsea and Jamie had pledged that they would not kiss anyone until they were married. Okay. So their marriage would be their first kiss. And you know, so there was this boy that Jamie had liked and we all were hanging out. It was this, you know, Friday night or so. And we're driving and we go to this boy's house because she wanted to see him. Oh, and okay. Yes. So are you the one driving? I'm the one driving because I'm you're, 17 years old. Right. Yeah. You're the oldest one. Yes. You're the responsible adult <laughs> in this group. Kind yes. of. Yes. You're the Okay. So you drive over there and uh-huh. just like, wait, what is the plan as far as like you and Chelsea? Are you guys just going to like sit in the car as they like stare at each other? Well, there was no intention of actually getting out of the car. Because oh, just it, driving over there yes, and like roll down the window, the window and, and giggle. And he comes outside and you say hello, <laughs> you know. So she really liked this boy. And um, we drive over to his house. And mind you, this is probably 1130, 12 o'clock at night. Oh, okay. And we're young kids. We're not even supposed to be out at that time. And he comes outside. And of course, all the lights are off. It's really quiet. He doesn't want his mom knowing he's outside. Yeah. And I roll down the window and he leans in and Jamie and Chelsea were both in the front seat at this time. Dangerous. I irresponsible. Know, I know. I know. Lord, forgive me, mom. I'm sorry. Um, so he leans in. He's like, hi, Jamie. She's like, hi, Kevin. How's it going? And he's like, it's going good. 
And, um, and you're just in the middle yes, of it. So I'm just watching this all unfold. Wait, so, uh, but he's at the passenger side window. No, he's on my side <laughs> window. Just talking, talking over you? through me to Jamie. And mind you, it's not just Jamie over there. It's Chelsea too. So he's talking through me and Chelsea to get to Jamie. Why? Because he's young and in love. And he so, needs the buffer. Yes. Because his love is too potent. Yes. Okay. All right. Okay. It's that potent love. Okay. Weird. So, um, they're, they're sitting there, they're having a conversation and somehow we get on the topic. Are of, you guys allowed to be in the conversation or like, are you like having to be quiet and not to oh ruin no, the like We're all them? talking. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we're all talking. It's not like she was like, you shut up. Yeah. No, no, no. Don't even look at him. <laughs> no. This is my moment. Yeah. No. Also, we didn't really. Like, I mean, I didn't think he was that cute and Chelsea didn't either. I don't wow. Know. Yeah. Wow. Sorry, Kevin. Yeah. Sorry, Kevin. We're Facebook friends. Don't listen to this. Um, <laughs> I'm going to look him up. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, they're talking and somehow we get on the subject of kissing and Jamie's like, well, I'm not, I can't kiss. I'm not allowed to kiss until I'm married. And Chelsea's like, yeah, me too. And by this time I'm 17 years old. I had already had several kisses by that time. All right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Jamie was like, well, what if, Danny, what if you kiss Kevin for me? And <laughs> what? I, yes. She's like, well, what if you kiss Kevin for me? And I was like, what? She's like, you know, cause I, I really want to show him how much I like him, but I can't kiss him. Would you kiss him for me? That is insane. What? <laughs> why? That is the weirdest solution to this problem. <laughs> Well, yeah, it is Also, strange. what does this say about her that she is like, I have made this pledge to holiness and I will not give up on that. But Danny, you're a lost cause. You <laughs> kissed the boy for me. You're a terrible sinner. No, I think it was more or less that she was nervous. Right. You know, also the fact that she had never kissed anybody before and he had. So, um, and he was and older you had. than her. Yeah, Both of you guys are old pros at this. Yeah. Oh, how old is he? He was 16. He was 35. No. <laughs> he was the he principal He was 16 at the, at the time. Oh, okay. So I was 17. He was 16. They're 14. Gotcha, okay? gotcha, gotcha. And he's a boy that went to our church and everything. So they liked each other, this, that, and the other. And so she asked me, she's like, Danny, could you kiss him for me? And, and this is in front of him too. Yes. And of course he's doesn't care because he's a boy. He just wants to kiss some girls, you know? Hopefully it's more than one in that night. You never know. Um, so she asked me and because I am such a good friend, I said yes. That is such a <laughs> Because you're such a good friend and you, yeah. Okay. All right. I don't know why my thought process was like, hey, this is a really good idea and I'd be a really good friend to Jamie. <laughs> I don't really think Kevin's that cute, but I mean- I guess I was more concerned about like how many boys have I kissed at the age of 17. And at that point it had only been two. And I you got to get them numbers up. Exactly. Wow. You know? So I was like, Oh, this could be the third boy that I kissed. I don't really like him, but you know, I'm doing it this as a, a favor to Jamie. You know, I just want to be a good friend. This is the weirdest favor. Yes, it is a strange favor. And even to this day, I find it very strange. So she like, I don't even know how to, what to ask. Like, so she offers this idea. Does it happen very quickly? She's like, mm, Danny, could you do it for me? And, and I like, was All like, right. yeah, sure. And I was like, Kevin, are you okay with that? He goes, yeah. And so I kiss him. He leans in and I kiss him. And, On the mouth. And Jamie goes, that's from me. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Yeah. 
that's from me. <laughs> yeah. So she considered that her first kiss. No. So yes. no, no. Yes. That was her first kiss. That's your kiss. It, it was her first kiss by proxy. Okay. You know? So yeah, very strange, but. Did they ever date? No, I don't think so. Hmm. No. I mean, I think like, you know, eventually, of course, they realized this ain't going to work. And of course, they we can't up- always have Danny around to do some kissing for us. <laughs> exactly. So we're not going to be able to last. Yeah. So they ended up, you know, of course, kissing boys. It happens. Kevin? No, not Kevin. Oh, I oh. mean, eventually Kevin. But I think her first kiss was somebody else. I don't even remember who it was. Mm. But um, actually, I do remember, but I won't say it on here because that's that's her biz. <laughs> Kevin is Kevin's yours. her first. Kevin's her first. So that's all that matters. But yeah, it was very strange. It was a weird night. Is that the weirdest thing you've done for a friend? Um, yeah, probably. There might be some more weird things I've done. I just can't think of any at the time. I mean, that's dedication to friendship. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, that was that it was just a wild night, and you know, we're high off these <laughs> Kevin kisses, and then I end up <laughs> Wrecking my car in the same night. <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah, it, it happened. I wrecked the car. Um, I was going around a, cur- a corner way too fast. And I I immediately... Like, after leaving Kevin? After leaving Kevin's. And we were just so excited, you know? And um, Because all of you had kissed Kevin yes, through bas- you. Yes, <laughs> yes, through me. And so um, we're going down a road and I'm traveling way too fast, probably going, you know, 45, 50. And I had a standard transmission. So I felt like a race car driver. And in that moment, I said, oh, my God, we're going so fast. I feel like a race car driver. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, shoot, that is a curve. And I tried to drift it because I was 17 years old and had just watched um, Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. Yeah, so I thought I could pull it off. I could not, and I ran straight into the curb. Chelsea hit her head on the floor, on the... um, Dash? Dash, yeah. And I mean, and they weren't wearing seatbelts. Thankfully, I wasn't going too, too fast. Um, But... Yeah. And then my dad had to come and rescue us. And he was very angry because at that point it was probably 12 o'clock, 1230. And we were probably a good 15 miles from our house. Wow. So yeah, we got into a lot of trouble that night. I didn't tell him why we were out there because I'm not gonna tell my dad. Dad, I was out here so that I could kiss my friend Jamie's crush, you know, because that would just made it all way worse. Now I'm starting to think like, can you steal kisses from someone? Like if there's if, if there, <laughs> there are people making out in public and you're next to them and when they finish kissing you go, that was from me. <laughs> Is it technically your kiss now and they've technically cheated on the person that they're with? Can I, you steal someone's kisses by claiming it? There's two people kiss and then you're just back there like, that was from me. <laughs> I don't know why that phrase is so funny to me. I don't know. Let's ask the public. Guys, comment down below. Hey Let guys, us know. Have you ever stolen a kiss by just claiming <laughs> it as yours? That was from me. You do that at a wedding? <laughs> <laughs> you would now kiss the bride and they kiss it and you're in the back. You're like, hey, that was from me. <laughs> and I was like, what? You know, technically you're married now. I guess so. Wow. I guess steal That's some kisses. That's how it works. Yeah. Hey, everybody, let's go steal some kisses. Just claim them as yours. That's yours. That was from you. Yeah. That was from me. That was from me. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you very much for sharing that story, Danny. You're very welcome. I had a great time. Thank you. 
to here doing this or with with the kiss um i mean it wasn't like a great time it was a fun memory but mm. i had a great time doing this oh good great yeah all right bye bye All right, I think that's the end of the episode. I think I think we're here. Oh man. Weird. We did it. We did it, folks. We did it together. Uh another big thanks to Glendon, my mom, and Danny for all coming on the podcast. Uh, if you've enjoyed this, why not review it on iTunes? Even if you're not listening to it on iTunes right now, it still helps if you were to go on there and write a quick review, give it a thousand stars. Uh, that would mean a whole lot to me. And if you have anything that you would like to comment on or questions that you have, or you want to say something really mean to me, uh, you can send me an email about the podcast. Uh, send the email. Uh, it's uh, taylor at taylorjohnsononline.com. And you can put the subject line like podcast. And then I'll know that it's about the podcast. But that's it. Okay. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, there's going to be another episode next week. Next Sunday morning will be another episode. And um, until then, that's it. <laughs> I don't have a good ending. I don't have a cool thing to say at the end. I'll think of something. Yeah, I'm going to come up with something. Uh, tell a friend about the podcast. Or if you hated this, Find someone that you hate and tell them about the podcast and make them suffer through it because uh, you, sh you should spread the word. All right, that's it. I'm done. Thank you again. Uh, I'll see you next time, uh, next week. Goodbye. <laughs>